Hi, Rabbi Schaefer here, and I'm very excited to tell you about the new Schmooze book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. Over the past 15 years or so, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples, and I can't tell you the amount of times I look and say, why are you doing this? Do you understand what the relationship needs? Do you understand what your spouse is thinking? I put together this book to detail some of the really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, and the book has been extremely well-received. We sent out about a 1,000 pre-publication copies to Huston and college teachers, to marriage therapists, and the reviews have been really, really very heartening. If you'd like to get a copy, it's available on Amazon. It's available in your local bookstores. It's also available on theschmooze.com. If you purchase it on theschmooze.com, in addition to the hard-covered book, you'll also get the audiobook as well as the ebook as a free bonus. If you'd like to do that, please go to theschmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll greatly benefit from it. Thank you. Menu is walking in the Midbar. He has run away from Mitzrayim. It's a little unclear exactly his age, but the assumption is, and most Rishonim learn that at 20 years of age, he runs away from Mitzrayim, and he spends the next 60 years in Midian, and towards the end of that, he's going in the, uh, he's walking out with with his father-in-law sheep, and he comes to Harachareva, comes to a mountain, and he sees a snare. He sees the snare burning, and he sees something rather unusual. The snare is burning, but it's not being consumed. At which point he stops and he says, "Let us, let me look at this unusual sight." <clears throat> at that point, Vayer Malach Hashem, the Malach Hashem appears to him, and clearly Moshe Ben understands that this is a moment of great significance. And then Hashem speaks to him from the snare, and Hashem tells him all the events that's going to happen. Now, if you read the Pesukim alone, you'd see a very interesting story of Moshe Rabbeinu receiving his first nevuah. But if you study a little bit more carefully, you'll see that it's not so simple at all, because it was a long conversation. Hashem says, I'm going to redeem the Jewish nation. I want you to be the representative. I want you to go to Paro. I want you to take the Jewish people out. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, I don't want to. And Hashem said, no, I want you to do it. Moshe said, no. Hashem said, yes, no, yes, no. And Rashi explains that this yes and no conversation went on for seven days. For seven days, Hashem tried to convince Moshe Rabbeinu to be the manhig, to be the one to take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, to then go up to Har Sinai and get the Torah, and Moshe Rabbeinu refused. Why did he refuse, <coughs> explains Rashi, because up until that point, Aaron had been the manhig, had been the leader of the class. So remember, Moshe Rabbeinu left at 20, his older brother Aaron was at the time 23, and shortly thereafter Aaron became the leader of the Jewish nation. Anytime Hashem wanted to speak to the Jews there, Hashem spoke through Aaron. Aaron was known as the leader, and Moshe did not want to usurp that covenant. So when Hashem said to Moshe, I want you to be the leader of the Jewish nation, I want you to take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, I can't take the covenant away from my brother Aaron. Hashem said, I'm telling you to do it. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, no. This conversation went on for seven days until Vayichar Av Hashem Hashem got angry with Moshe Rabbeinu and said, Hinei, you should know. Your brother's coming out to greet you and he will have no jealousy. As a matter of fact, when Moshe Rabbeinu goes out and back to Mitzrayim and Aaron goes out to greet him, he greets him with a tremendous joy and heart felt happiness. Simcha Belevav. Because of that, Aaron was Zohar to Urim Vitumim on his chest. But that moment, Moshe Rabbeinu was shown that Aaron had no jealousy, 
and in fact he was to be the monarch of the Klaisrol. Now, if we stop on this Rashi and think about nothing else, just who Moshe Rabbeinu was, he's now being offered the ultimate position of power, importance, significance, greatness, Dveikas Hashem. This is it. It doesn't get better than Moshe Rabbeinu. You know, Rav Chaim Kanievsky had a Leviah where the entire class all paid attention watched. Whether there were a million people there or close to, the point is and that man accomplished and did what Moshe Rabbeinu was being offered was so much greater than that. And Moshe Rabbeinu was being offered access to Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu was being offered to be the Sara Torah, the one who truly understands the Torah, the one who brings the Torah down to Klai Yisrael. He's being offered the ultimate position of honor, of power, of importance, of significance, of greatness. It doesn't get better than that. And Moshe Rabbeinu refuses. Why? Because my brother Aaron. First of all, number one, and Moshe Rabbeinu has not spoken to his brother in 60 years. He leaves at 20, he's now almost 80 years of age. 60 years he's not spoken to his brother. And Hashem himself says, don't worry about it. Aaron will... No, I can't do it. Uh, Hashem says, I'm telling you, Aaron will not feel bad. No, I can't do it. I can't take the honor away. I can't take it. He's willing to give up the most powerful, most important, most significant position, but more than significant, to be dovig to Hashem. We don't even understand what these words mean, but... Moshe Rabbeinu at this point was a Novi. When you're a Novi, you see Hashem, you recognize Hashem, and there's a tremendous lust within your heart to be closer to Hashem. What Hashem was offering Moshe Rabbeinu was the ultimate entree into Shemayim, the ultimate access to Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu at the end was able to ask Hashem anything. At any time, Moshe Rabbeinu could ask any question to Hashem on any subject, and Hashem would answer him. That entree, that incredible dvekas, was once in a history of mankind position, and Moshe Rabbeinu was going to turn it all down. I can't stand to see my brother and to feel bad. I can't have him be... And Hashem said, he's not going to feel... Not good enough. For seven days until Hashem literally had to force him into it. And again, it's not the subject of this evening's discussion, but just to see the godless of Moshe Rabbeinu, what he's willing to give up, and not to dishonor his brother, what he's willing to sacrifice because maybe his brother will feel bad, even though Hashem says he's not going to feel bad. I'm telling you to do it. He had all the rationale and the will to do it. Moshe Rabbeinu said, I can't do it. If it hurts my brother, I'm not doing it. I'll give up the most powerful, greatest position in the world. I'm not going to be a part of it. And again, if you want to know why Hashem chooses certain people to be the manig of Yisrael, just study this Rashi. Every door has manhigim. And every door, we don't appreciate until they're gone. But when you hear the stories afterwards, you understand why Hashem chose each manig to be the manig of the door. And if you'd like to see one greater example of this, and again, it's not the discussion of this evening, but because I'm not feeling well, I'm allowed to cheat a little bit. I want to share with you one more example of godless. Aaron HaKohen. Aaron HaKohen is at the center of the greatest tragedy in the Jewish nation. And Moshe Menor later on goes up to Shemayim to get the Torah. He's supposed to come down with the Luchos after 40 days, and it's a miscalculation. <clears throat> Did it they include the day of going up? Did it not? In any case, the sun came and made the world dark, and there was darkness throughout the world, and the sun brought a casket of Moshe Menor, an image of a casket of Moshe Menor, showing, look, Moshe died, and apparently whatever the mistake was, the era of Rav wanted to create a new intermediary, we can't access Hashem directly, we need another manhig, and they wanted to build some type of 
whatever Avodah Zarah, whatever, however you understand it. But here's the point. Aaron saw that they were going to do something wrong. And Aaron said, let me be the leader. And Rashi explains that when Moshe Rabbeinu comes down to, and sees that Aaron is the one who built the Mizbeach, Aaron is the one who threw the clump of gold into the fire to build the to build this Egel Azov, Moshe Rabbeinu said, what did you do? Aaron said, Yitlu bi let the anger be upon me. Meaning, he knew that the Klaiso were going to do this. He knew they were going to make the mistake. <clears throat> let me take the bullet. Let Hashem be angry at me. If I did it, Hashem will be angry at me. <clears throat> let the Hashem not be angry at the Klaiso. I'll do it. I'll take the blame. I'll take the bullet rather than letting the Klaiso suffer. Do you understand what this Rashi is sharing with us? Aaron understands <clears throat> that what he's doing is potentially of a he understands that there will be Choron Af. There will be extreme anger. Likely he's going to lose his this world and his Olam Haba. But he's willing to do it. Why? Because I want the anger to be upon me, not the Klai Sol. Hashem will blame me. Hashem will take out his anger on me. And it'll be fine. I'll take the blame and let the Jewish nation be saved. Do you understand what this man is willing to do? These are the heir of Rav. These are the Rishoyim. These are the wicked people of the generation. Whatever the exactness of the sin is... It's something akin to Varazara to the extent that 3,000 people were worthy to die. Clearly, they were not Sadiqim. So, if anything, Aaron should be furious with him. What do you want to do? Serve Varazara? Some form of Varazara? What are you crazy? Hashem said, Hashem We're right there. Aaron should be furious. But he realized that they were going to sin. Realized that Hashem would be angry with them. And rather than Hashem being angry with them, let me take the bullet. I'll take the blame. Let Hashem get angry with me. And therefore, he said, Let the blame come on me. And when you see this, what you're seeing is a manig in the Israel. You see a manig of the Klai Yisrael, a person who's willing to give up his, this world, his world to come, even when he should have been furious with them, he should have been angry with them. <clears throat> he should have said, if anything, I want to be part of punishing you. The opposite. I care for them. <clears throat> Let me take the bullet rather than them. When you see this type of sacrifice, when you see this type of giving up, this type of devotion, you'll understand why Hashem chooses certain people to be manhige Yisrael. However, Again, this is not our discussion this evening. The topic of discussion this evening is something that the Derech Hashem explains to us about how Hashem allows people to understand things that they might not have understood before. And let's begin with the process. Hashem gave a tremendous capacity to the human and to the human alone, and that is to understand, to perceive, to categorize, and to learn new information. So I'll give you a for instance. My grandson is now almost a year old, and my daughter told me that just today she taught him to say goodbye. She would wave and say goodbye, and now when anybody's about to leave the house, he says bye-bye, bye-bye. Now if you think about that, that's rather interesting, because he's one year of age, and he's able to connect this hand motion. When someone is leaving, this is what we do, and he's able to connect that after his mother teaches him, Anytime someone leaves, we say bye-bye by waving. That's new information being taught to an infant. And number one, a human being has a capacity to learn information that he didn't have before. I could sit down and study and learn things that I didn't know. That happens to be a tremendous bracha and a tremendous koach that Hashem gave us to assimilate new information. But that's not really the greatness of the human. The greatness of the human is the ability to discern information that wasn't accessible before. I could look at the tip of the iceberg, study the nature of it, 
categorize it, define it, and understand that that's the tip, but there's far more beneath it. Understanding the nature, understanding the limits, understanding new concepts. The human being was given the capacity to delve into different areas and understand things that he didn't understand before. The human mind is powerful. I can conceptualize, I can understand, I can concretize, I can categorize, and I can reach conclusions that were not obvious, certainly that I didn't realize before, and that's a koach that Hashem gave to man. That is strictly a derech ha-teva koach. It's the human mind at work, and again, the human mind is a wonderment. Three three pounds, three pounds of gray matter, a hundred billion neurons, and somehow able to do these things that are beyond our understanding, certainly beyond neurologists' understanding, and it is a rather interesting capacity. However, explains to us, Hashem, and there's a whole different way for a human being to understand things, and that's from a direct influence of Hashem. There's a concept called Ruach HaKodesh. What is Ruach HaKodesh? Ruach HaKodesh is when Hashem influences a person and allows them to access information that they didn't have before. But there are many levels to it. The lowest level is something that you'll see all the time. I once heard, a number of times heard from my Rebbe, the Shiva Zetzal, say in the name of his father, that when Hashem wants to reveal certain pieces of information, Hashem has a certain timeline for it, and at certain stages Hashem wants certain knowledge to be given to mankind. If you are the person on the forefront working in that area, you'll be the one to discover it. But it's not Einstein's genius, it's not Galileo's brilliance, and not because Newton was such an intelligent person. It was there was certain information Hashem wanted to reveal, and obviously the person who's on the front line of working on that is going to be the one to discover it. And, but there's a very real progression that Hashem wants certain ideas out. And if you study the entire scientific revolution, and what you're studying is the timeline that Hashem wants information out there, understanding out there, and great man's discovery is merely something that Hashem reveals. In this in his time, Hashem is going to make it accessible. And again, either this guy or that guy, this one or that one is going to be the one to discover it. But it's not his brilliance. It's not his incredible intellect. It's that Hashem revealed it to him, opened his mind to understanding it, because again, Hashem wanted that information out in that time. Another example of this, I believe, are there are many situations in history where you could see divine intervention directly involved. I believe there are certain documents that are divinely created. Let's discuss the Declaration of Independence. I do not believe that it is anything short of a moface. And yes, it was written by man, but it is my firm belief that it was incredibly divinely influenced. Just listen to these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, and amongst them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you understand that these concepts were not accepted in the world in 1776? They may be self-evident to us today, hundreds of years later, but that was not what it was like living in the British Empire. The British imperialism did not leave room for these concepts. But if you read through the document, you see that Hashem wanted these thoughts out, Hashem wanted these concepts there, And I believe much of the Declaration of Independence is divinely written, and you'll find many documents as such. The Magna Carta is something similar, 
And you'll find many times that Hashem wants information out there and reveals it. Now that is a very, very low level of Ruach HaKodesh. The person was unaware of it, but a thought came into his brain. Now we often experience that. Most of the Ashkacha and most of our divine intervention are thoughts that come into our brain. I don't know why I decided to go into this business. I decided to try calling this person and pitching this product. I decided to... And most of the Ashkacha Pratis that we say, it's Ashkacha, it's Hashem's divine intervention, are where Hashem puts thoughts into our minds. It's not Ruach HaKodesh, but it's similar. It's an influence by Hashem, changing our thoughts, putting thoughts into our mind. And again, the vast, vast majority of our Ashkacha Pratis, of our divine interventions, are this one had that thought, that one had this thought, this guy had an idea to call me, and I called him, and this... And most of the way that Hashem interacts with our world are not mofsim. Dam tzadei akinim aruv were mofsim that were literally above derech hateva. It wasn't even Hashem manipulating nature, Hashem recreating nature. The vast, vast majority of Hashem's intervention in our world has nothing to do with that. It's strictly that Hashem putting thoughts into this one's mind and put this one in this kind of mood and make this person receptive or not receptive and make this person shut down or accept it. And that's how Hashem orchestrates much of the world we live in. And much of this is well under Ruach HaKodesh. There's another level above that, that's literally Ruach HaKodesh. And Ruach HaKodesh, the Derech Hashem explains to us, is when the person is so dovic to Hashem, that Hashem reveals to him certain information. But you see, here's the point. The person knows that Hashem is revealing that information to him. The person has the type of closeness to Hashem. He's cut through the layers of physicality. He experiences Hashem to the extent that a thought comes into his mind, and he knows that Hashem put it into his mind. It's not like, I had a chap, I had an idea. It's he knows that Hashem influenced him. He knows that Hashem put that thought into his mind, because Ruach HaKodesh really is an example of Dvekas. It's an example of being very, very close to Hashem. But the highest level of Ruach HaKodesh is still very, very far from Nevuah. What is Nevuah? Nevuah is where Hashem directly interacts with the Navi. Now, Darach Hashem explains to us that Nevuah is a very, very high madrega. A person has to literally cut through layers and layers of physicality to the extent that his physical being has very little impact upon him, has very little sway, you know, when we talk about the Nefesh of Bahami and Nefesh of Sikhli being sort of 50-50, sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm generous and sometimes I'm stingy, sometimes I'm calm and sometimes I'm angry. And we're talking about a person who has reached such a madrega, whereas Nefesh of Bahami has very, very little sway. He's pure Dveikas Bashem. He does exactly what a Seichel tells him to do. The behemoth, the Nefesh of Bahami, his animal soul has very little sway, and he reaches a level where he's worthy of Hashem to speak to him. However, here's the problem. A human being, as lofty as he may be, as holy as he may be, cannot experience Hashem. Hashem is so infinitely great, and so infinitely pure, that if a human being would be in his conscious mind and experience Hashem, he would short-circuit, totally just collapse. Just there'd be no... And the brain would just get unwired. As a matter of fact, if you'd like to understand what happened when Elisha Menavuya went up to Shemayim, Right? Remember what happened? Elisha ben Avui became Rabbi Koros, and Ben Zoma became insane. What does it mean he became insane? He experienced Hashem too clearly. 
when in his conscious mind he was alert and awake and experienced Hashem and it was system overload, it was just the mind got frazzled. For Navi to actually experience Hashem, he must go into a state of Tardema. As a matter of fact, Avram Avinu had his first nevuah <coughs> when he was sound asleep. It was in a <coughs> sleep at night. And most Nevi'im have it sleep at have either nevuah at night or they're in a state of what we would call altered consciousness, where their conscious mind isn't functioning. If their conscious mind were fully functioning, forget about it. <coughs> a, they couldn't experience Hashem. B, it would just be system overload. And so they go into what we call a altered state of conscious, consciousness, but even more than that, almost suspended animation. You see, their system is taken over by Hashem. <clears throat> Normally, the Rambam describes when a Navi begins to have Navua, his arms start to tremble, his body starts shaking, and it looks something like what he describes as a seizure, <clears throat> because what's happening is the <clears throat> Nefesh HaSikli has to be released from the Nefesh Bahami. As great as a Navi may be, and the Nefesh Bahami is still encompassing him, is still blocking him. So he has to separate. And the Nefesh Sikli has to separate, and the Shama has to separate from the Nefesh Bahami. But that means that something has to keep his body alive because his, he's no longer going to be there. In a sense, he's almost dead. So explain to Derech Hashem that the systems of his body are kept alive by Hashem, Derech Nes. And Nefesh Bahami is sort of paralyzed and stops the function, but Hashem keeps his body alive. He separates somewhat from his body. You see this trembling in his various sort of out-of-body experience. And at that point, Hashem is able to speak to him. Now, the first type of Novi is where Hashem speaks to a Novi with an image. An image is something where it's not clear. The Novi clearly sees the image. He sees exactly what the image is, but it's not 100% clear what it means. So I'll give you a good for instance. Yonah was told by Hashem, Od Arbaim Yom, 40 more days, and Ninveh Napechas, and Ninveh is going to be turned upside down. Yonah knew what that meant. Then in 40 days, Hashem is going to destroy Ninveh. Hashem is going to turn it upside down, and literally plow it over. And Yonah, in the end, goes running to Ninveh, and says, Od Arbaim Yom, 40 more days, and Hashem is going to, Mahapechas, Hashem is going to turn over Ninveh. Now, it happens to be that Yonah saw the image. He might even heard the words, but he wasn't yoried to the sovdas. Because what in fact Hashem meant was, Ninveh is nepeches. Ninveh is going to be turned over. Either they'll do tshuva, in which case they'll be nepeches, they'll be turned around. Or if they don't do tshuva, they're going to be plowed under. But nepeches has two separate meanings. It can mean be turned over physically, or it can mean being turned over figuratively in terms of doing tshuva. <clears throat> Yonah didn't, wasn't Yorlis of Das. He didn't know the full meaning. He saw the image, maybe even seen the words, but he didn't have the full understanding. That's level one of a Novi. There's a higher level of a Novi <clears throat> where Hashem speaks out the words exactly to the Novi. You see, most Navua is an image, and then it's the job of the Novi to interpret the image. And let me give you a clear example of what I mean. If you've ever read near-death experience stories, and there are many of them, and they're well worth reading, you may be a little perturbed. There are certain commonalities amongst all of them. And the person describes kind of popping out of his body, hovering above, and then he begins experiencing things, usually some description of walking to the light, and then the descriptions get very interesting. Now, what do you do when you're reading one of these stories, and a person says, 
I started walking to the light, and there came Jesus with long flowing robes and brown hair, brown eyes. Jesus was coming to greet me. Now here's the problem. You and I understand that Jesus ain't greeting nobody uh, when they're having an out-of-body experience. So what do you do when you hear somebody tell you, eyewitness, I was popped out of my body, experienced a light, and saw Jesus walking to me. What do you do with that? So I'd like to explain to you what actually happened. Let me ask you a question. When you die, what color are your eyes? That's a good question, right? Anyway, my body's been on the ground, I separate what color are my eyes in Gan Eden? And the answer is, there are no color because I don't have eyes. You see, I am the one inside, and the body's a goof, the body's put in the ground, and I separate. And when I separate, I have no physicality. I have no physical dimensions, no physical limitations. I don't have hair or beard, eyes or glasses. I'm not physical. I'm utterly spiritual. And when you're having an out-of-body experience, let's say a near-death experience, you're leaving your body. At that point, you're able to access things. You're able to see things. Then when you come back into your body, you then interpret what you saw. So if this fellow was brought up in the church and he saw lots of pictures of Jesus with long brown hair, and when he comes back into his body, he now interprets what he saw within the imagery that he's familiar with. And what he saw was not a human being. And what he saw might have been a malach, might have been something very spiritual. He didn't actually see it, he experienced it. But now that he's back in his body, he's trying to use human terms to describe something that's not human. He's trying to put flesh and clothing onto an image that obviously doesn't have flesh and clothing, but he's going to interpret it within whatever framework he's familiar with. So, if he's used to seeing long flowing robes and and a beard and brown eyes, that's how he's going to interpret it. And that's how he's going to define it. What he saw had nothing to do with the body. He didn't see someone tall or short, fat or skinny. If he experienced a malach or something similar, it was totally a spiritual entity. He was out of his body, he was able to experience it. He now comes into his body, he now uses human terms to define it. But what he's doing is, he's putting the flesh and blood, he's putting the clothes and the hair on that image, and what he's going to come up with might have very little connection to what he saw, and there's going to be a lot of babble and things mixed in that have no sense of reality. In that sense, a Novi is similar. When a Novi has an experience of seeing Hashem, typically he'll see an image. Now the image is very vivid and very clear, and two things. Number one, the Novi knows 100% that it's Hashem who's showing him the image. And number two, he sees the image with absolute clarity. The problem is that it's now the Novi's job to put flesh and clothing on that image. See, the image might have been an image of a horse, an image of Ninveh turning upside down. It might have been whatever it might have been. It's now the Navi's job to define that and to put it into words and to then explain it. Some Navim were greater than this and some were not as good, but it definitely leaves room for interpretation. And not every Navua is absolute and not every Navua is perfect. However, and two things. Number one, every nevuah is based on one thing, the dveikas of that person to Hashem. The Derech Hashem explains that really, the prophecy that that person knows is almost ancillary. The main thing is that the person was able to access Hashem, to be dovik to Hashem to that level, and that Hashem was literally showing him something. What Hashem showed him is interesting, but much less relevant than the fact that he reached that madrega, 
And the real accomplishment of Nevuah is that you're able to access Hashem directly, connect to Hashem on that level. And when you're able to connect to Hashem on that level, often Hashem will reveal certain secrets, things that are unknown, and future or events, whatever they may be. But those are topical, ancillary. The main thing of a Navi is that he's Dovig. The knowledge that he acquires is sort of like a side benefit. Now, if Hashem wants the Klai to know that information, Hashem will give it to the Navi in a way that's clear to the Navi, and the Navi will interpret it properly, and he'll give it over properly. If it's not as much of a concern for Hashem to let the Jewish nation know it, most Navim, the vast, vast majority of Navim, were not written down. And the vast, there were multiple, multiple, it's very difficult to know the real number, because Chazal used numbers in the, potentially in the millions of Navim. In other words, meaning, when we, today we have big Tamidich Chachamim. Baruch Hashem we have, you go to Eretzol, you go to Lakewood, you go Muncie, there are many, many very Chashev Tamidich Chachamim. It is my belief that back in the day, talking, let's say, before the, during the first base of Migdash, as common as it is today to have Tamidich Chachamim, you had Nevi'im. People had Nevo'ah. Now, not everyone was the highest level of Navi, but to have a person having Nevo'ah was not that unusual. If a person wanted to study Nevo'ah, he became a Ben Navi. He went to an actual Navi, and a Navi would teach him the derech of Nevo'ah, how to get reach that state, <coughs> put himself in a good mood, overnate, play some type of music to put him in a good mood. But there was a whole process of learning, of being a Ben Navi, learning how to be a Navi. And again, it seems like they were in the millions of Nevi'im, and I believe it was kind of akin to and today, what we would call a tamachacham, a chashav, you know, real chashav tamachacham, was then on the level of a navi. However, there was a higher level of neviim still. There were some neviim that were given a nevuah to be written down for doros. Shmuel, Yirmiya, Yeshaya, those neviim that were given nevuah to be written down for doros were not shown an image. In that case, Hashem revealed the very exact words. And when Yeshaya wrote down the words, Hashem told him the exact words, bedictuk, with precision, because that was a nevuah to be written down in Doris, and there could be no room for error. Now, there could be interpretations later on, what did Hashem mean when He said this, but the words, as they were said, were written by Hashem, given to Novi, and it was written down. And that nevuah, it won't change. That nevuah will come true. And that nevuah, again, we may not understand exactly what it means, but that nevuah was given word for word by Hashem to the Navi. Explain to Derech Hashem, all of this is very impressive, but if you want to understand the greatness of a Navi, it's the wisdom that he accessed. And I'll give you an interesting example. The Torah's Adam brings down a fascinating story right around the Churban Bias. What happened was, apparently Plato and met Yermiel. And Plato recognized Yermiah was supposed to be a prophet, supposed to be a brilliant man, supposed to be a philosopher, and Plato was obviously the philosopher of the Gentile nations. And Plato walked over to Yermiah and saw Yermiah crying. And he said, why are you crying? Yermiah said, look at the destruction. Don't you see this was the God's holy temple? And Plato said, look at you. You're a grown man. You're crying over burnt wood, over stones. How could you cry over this? Aren't you a wise man? <clears throat> Yumi said, tell me something. I want you to tell me your greatest philosophical questions. Tell me your three greatest philosophical problems that you've had ever in life. <clears throat> Plato told them all three. 
Each one, Yirmiya answered, one, two, three. And then Yirmiya said these words, and that wisdom I got from that place, and that's why I cry. And that Plato was able to understand. Meaning, <clears throat> what a Novi accomplished was Dvekas by Hashem. That Dvekas allowed him access to entire worlds and worlds of knowledge, but not knowledge that I discern, and not knowledge that I'm going to learn from a book, not knowledge that I'm going to categorize and create, influence with wisdom and understanding of things that are well beyond human capacity to know and understand. I'll give you a very simple for instance. Yosef knew 71 languages. Paro only knew 70, Yosef knew 71. How did Yosef know 71 languages? Even harder still, to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to know 70 languages. You had to accept Edus testimony in any language that the person might come in. Since this was the international tribunal, someone may come from speaking Swahili, speaking Hindu, speaking whatever language. <clears throat> if you were a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to understand, conversationally at least, all 70 languages. I want to ask you a simple question. How did Mordechai at Tzadik have time to learn 70 languages? Right, the minute they're speaking uh, whatever language they're speaking over there, right away Mordechai hops it. How does he know Bigson and Serish's languages? And believe me, he did not go to school for it. He didn't get an advanced degree in, in languages. <clears throat> when Hashem allows a person to access Hashem, when a person is dovic to Hashem, Hashem allows that person knowledge, and the influence of Hashem spreads on that person, and that person is able to access incredible wealth of knowledge and understanding well beyond human capacity. And that's Ruach HaKodesh, and that's a level of Navua, and depending on how great the person is, and depending on how Dovik determines how much they know. And when you see people who are Nevi'im, the particulars that they prophesied about this event happening, that event happening, was minimal. They understood vast amounts of Torah. Meaning, when Rav Chaim said, such and such never happened, I believe it's been said that Rav Chaim said, there is no Makar for Kvater being a school of having a kid. Now, if I were to tell you I searched everywhere, I looked through every safer and I couldn't find any Makar, you'd say, look a little harder. But when Rav Chaim said, I know there is no Makar, you know the man knew Kola Tarakula, learned everything, Bavli, Yerushalmi, Tosefta, Sifras, he learned it all and he could not find a Makar, you know there was no Makar and no source for this. Rav Chaim was a Lilliputian, and the wisdom of people in the time of the Sanhedrin, and the wisdom of Yehuda and Nasi, and the wisdom of Hillel and Shammai was so vast, so beyond, so incredibly beyond anything that anyone today could ever imagine or envision. Kola Tarakula at their fingertips, but with depth and understanding, the upper world, the inner world, what, what they knew, what they understood was beyond our capacity to even relate to. And when you understand that, number one, you have a lot more respect for the Chachamim. You know, many times, especially when we learn certain <coughs> Gedorim, Chazal set up a Geder, don't eat meat and milk, don't eat six hours after. And sometimes you wonder, like, what? come on, it's, it's difficult to hear, difficult to understand. <coughs> but when you understand that their wisdom was so much more fun. I can't say phenomenally greater than ours. Their wisdom was in a totally different league. Their understanding of human nature, their understanding of character, their understanding of <clears throat> of people, their understanding of what's valuable and what's important. It was so many leagues above anything we could touch. You have a lot more respect for the Gedorim of Chazal, a lot more respect for their wisdom. They were in a totally different sense. 
Now, in any case, explain to Derek Hashem everything that we're going to say does not begin to discuss the Nevoah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was a unique Novi. <coughs> the Pesach says, Lokam <coughs> Moshe owed Novi. There never was nor ever will be a Novi like Moshe Rabbeinu at all. And explain to Derek Hashem, Moshe Rabbeinu's Nevoah was different in three ways. <coughs> Number one, it was direct. Meaning, normally, when Hashem speaks to Novi, number one, he goes into that sort of altered state of consciousness. And even in that altered state of consciousness, Hashem has to speak in sort of like from lenses, behind many lenses, because the person can't really perceive Hashem. The person is not on that madrega. Moshe Rabbeinu Baspaklarim Iria, speak to Hashem, Panim Panim, full cognition, fully alert, speaking to Hashem right there with full mental acuity, fully alert, no tremor, no trembling, no, no out-of-body experience, speaking to Hashem directly. Apparently his body had ceased holding him back, and his body had ceased to stop him. As a matter of fact, I remember Rabbi Duritz, Rishi Rochester once explained, when they went to bury Moshe Rabbeinu, there was a problem. There was no ground that they could bury Moshe Rabbeinu in, because ground couldn't contain his body. His body became so kaddish, became so holy, that you couldn't put it into ground, because ground couldn't contain it. Hashem had to create a separate entity to bury the body of Moshe Rabbeinu. And whatever it means, the point is, he had so purified himself, and so elevated himself, that he was able to speak to Hashem in full cognition, fully alert, fully awake. And number two, Moshe Rabbeinu could ask anything he wanted, whenever he wanted. Meaning, when there was a Shiloh, Moshe Rabbeinu said, let me ask Hashem and let me see. A Navi might have a Nevoah every once in a while. There were some Nevi'im who had a Nevoah once in their life. Some Nevi'im had every once in a while. It was very rare that a Navi actually reached the level of Dvekas to Hashem, that on a somewhat regular basis, Hashem would speak to them. Moshe Menu, whenever he wanted, could access Hashem and ask Hashem, Hashem, what is Allah? You know, it's beautiful today we have a phone. And there are many times when I say, Chazde Hashem, because I get to call people, you know, someone gave me some trouble with the, the ten really dumb mistakes. I was getting a certain Rav in Lakewood had a problem with something. I got on the phone, called Rabbi first. Rabbi first said, you tell him in my name, you wrote it right, it's correct. I said, oh, Baruch Hashem. But do you understand what that means? I have a telephone. I could access Rabbi first in Chicago, ask him a question. That's beautiful. And Moshe Menuh had access to God, the creator of the heavens and earth. And any time, any place, he could ask Hashem directly, and Hashem would answer him. But number three, the Derech Hashem explains... And Moshe Menuh had full entree to everything, all of the wisdom in creation, the upper worlds, the lower worlds. You could, Moshe Menuh could access, you know, <clears throat> Wikipedia is a very impressive <clears throat> entity. And if you look at Wikipedia, you can find information on any subject. And a lot of times it's even correct. Well, sometimes. But in any case, <clears throat> Wikipedia is a vast body of knowledge. And it contains information from so many different sources. And again, let's even grant that 60% of it is accurate. Moshe Menu did not have Wikipedia. He had access to everything, all knowledge in mankind. Anything, because Hashem is the source of all knowledge. Hashem is the platform of all knowledge. And Hashem said, here it is, my treasure house is up to, open to you. And Moshe Menu could tour at his leisure, could access any information anything he wanted at any time. And that is the type of Nevoah that Moshe Rabbeinu had and no other Navi ever had and no other Navi will have. And when you understand that, 
you understand who Moshe Rabbeinu was. <clears throat> Moshe Rabbeinu was a Novi of a level that never was before and never will be. And now let's come back to that Rashi we learned originally. <clears throat> what Moshe Rabbeinu was being offered was this, entree to all the knowledge of mankind, Hashem himself, to be able to access Hashem at any time, ask Hashem anything, and speak to Hashem at any given time about anything. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, I don't want the job. Why? Because my brother... My brother, my older brother, you haven't seen him in 60 years, but I can't stand. Hashem said, don't worry about it, I'm telling you, you won't be upset. No, I can't take a chance. For seven days, for seven days, Hashem is arguing with Moshe. I got the greatest job in the world, the greatest opportunity. You'll be Moshe Rabbeinu, the son. No, I'm not doing it. For seven days until finally Hashem, Hashem gets angry and says, do it. You have to do it. Hashem basically forced him to do it. When you... And hear that, you understand the greatness of our Manhigan, the greatness of our leaders, and you understand the access that they had, the information, the understanding that they had. <clears throat> when we lost Rav Chaim, we lost the Gadlbi Yisrael who knew Kola Tarkula, something that's unfathomable to any of us, something that we can't even understand. But again, when you understand the earlier generations, and when you understand that all of it is nothing compared to Ruach HaKodesh, and when you had even the Beis Yosef, who on a regular basis had a Novi come learn with him, on a regular basis, I'm sorry, I had a, a Malach come learn with him. The Magi Misharim is a safer the Beis Yosef wrote, because the Malach would come to learn with him all the time, and there were discussions that he had. In the entire Shulchan Aruch, the Beis Yosef quotes the Malach only one time, because Shulchan Aruch is Psak of mankind, it's not Lobeshemayimi. But nevertheless, the Beis Yosef wrote the safer Magi Misharim, which are the discussions he had with a Malach. A Malach would come and say, you got this right, you got this wrong, this is how to learn this, this is how to learn that. Could you imagine what it means to be around the Beis Yosef? And they Yosef that a Malach Hashem would learn with him every night, talk to him and explain to him what he got right, what he got wrong. We can't even fathom that. But the Beis Yosef was no one compared to the Rashba. And the Rashba was no one compared to the Amoraim. Amoraim was no one compared to Tanoim. We talk about Tanoim, they were Malachi Elohim. They were literally not human beings like we know them. They were on the level of Nevoah, not just simply Ruach HaKodesh. Again, Ruach HaKodesh means you know Hashem is speaking to you. You know Hashem is there. Nevoah is a totally different level. Transcendence, leaving the body, axing Hashem, knowing these things. And when you understand the progression, you have a lot more respect for the Masorah, a lot more respect for Chachamim. And ultimately, when you hear the greatness of the Ovos and the greatness of our leaders, when Aaron Akoin is willing to take a bullet, when he says, let it be me, I'll take the blame because I can't stand to stand the air of Rav, Hashem being angry with them. Hashem, I kill them. I don't know what else. I'll, let me take the bullet. He's willing to give up this world, the world to come, have Hashem be angry at him for Doris. Who knows what it'll be? Let me take it. <clears throat> That's a manig. And the ultimate example is Moshe Rabbeinu willing to give up the Sarah Torah, willing to give up that position, the ultimate position of being Davik to Hashem. I don't want it if it hurts my brother. Those are Manhigim and those are the ones that Hashem choose for us who are our leaders for the Jewish people. Okay, and now I think I've said enough. Now I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. If you have questions on this topic or any other topic, please feel free to ask. Baruch Hashem, my voice held up. Um, if you like, you could raise your hand. We have a hand up here. I'm going to allow you to talk. You have uh, Nurit, you have the floor. Yeah, I believe you could talk. Did you raise your hand? Ask Tommy a second. I believe you could talk. Talking, it says, if you raise your hand 
and you want to talk, please talk. If you didn't, raise, if you raise your hand by mistake, <clears throat> I'll mute you. But <clears throat> please feel free to ask. Okay, I'm gonna <clears throat> disable talking. I assume that means it was my mistake. I'll lower the hand, and I'll <clears throat> disable talking. Again, please feel free to raise your hand if you have a question you'd like to ask, or <clears throat> you can type the question in. Um, <clears throat> okay. Here's a question. I thought Shlomo Melch was the smartest person to ever live, but Moshe could access more than him. Yes, Shlomo Melch was given wisdom greater than any person uh, ever. <clears throat> what does wisdom mean? <clears throat> wisdom means understanding things um, on his own, understanding things. Moshe Beno had more access. Now, <clears throat> it's, it's... You see, let me explain something very interesting. The Medrash tells us that Moshe Benu saw when he was about to make Torah that many generations later Rabbi Akiva was darshaning the Torah and from the kesre, from the the ksarm, from the from the crowns on the letters he was learning out pili malachas mounds and mounds of halachas meaning from the crowns there are various letters shatnas gaz various letters in the Torah have crowns on them and there's a particular reason for it and Rabbi Akiva was darshaning out learning out Mounds and mounds of halachas from those crowns. Moshe Benu saw this and had chalishas adas, because Moshe Benu didn't understand these halachas, didn't know these halachas, and he said, "Hashem, why did you choose me? Obviously, Rabbi Kiv is greater than I. Why are you choosing me?" Hashem said, "This is my decision. This is what I'm going to, I want to be." What that means is there were certain things that even Moshe Benu didn't fully understand. He could ask, if he didn't understand, he could then ask Hashem, but certainly in the beginning he didn't understand. But keep in mind, he spent 40 years as the Manig of the Klyasol, meaning after going up to Shemayim for 120 days, right? It's 40 days, comes down, 40 days to ask Tshuva, 40 days to accept the second Kabbalah Satorah, 120 days he spends with Hashem, he then comes down, and for the next 40 years, he's the teacher of the Jewish nation. That means on a regular basis he accesses Hashem, he goes into the Olmoid and Hashem speaks to him on a regular basis, Hashem reveals things to him. So who he was at 80 is not who he was at 120. He spent the next 40 years steiging, and he grew more and more knowledge. So when Shlomo Melech was given the greatest wisdom of a human being, that means he had the greatest ability to understand futures, understand on his own things, but he did not have anywhere near the understanding of Torah as did Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was granted as a gift, as a matana, tremendous understanding. It doesn't mean it was his own wisdom necessarily, but he understood things to a much greater extent because Hashem revealed it to him. And nevertheless, there were certain things that, that Shlomo Melech might be able to understand and that Moshe Rabbeinu might not have. For instance, the sources, how to grow various uh, vegetables because he knew the sources underground of how Hashem feeds, whatever. Point being, there were many things that Shlomo Melech understood on his own with his own wisdom that Moshe Benu maybe could have asked and found out about, but Shlomo Melech knew on his own, and Moshe Benu had to access. So I hope that answers the question. Um, okay, uh, please feel free to raise your hand if you have questions, or you could type a question in. Um, what, what am I doing over here? I'm doing the wrong thing on my screen, so I'm getting lost over here. Okay, if you have questions, please feel free to raise your hand, or you could type the question in. Okay, if not, again, let me just remind you, please go to Torah Treasures to get your copy of the uh, 10 Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. Tell Mike Grossman I said hi. If for some reason you can't go to Torah Treasures and Amazon doesn't work, you go to the T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. 
<clears throat> the 10 really dumb mistakes a very small couple make. I highly recommend the book. Again, it sold over 10,000 copies, and I've been receiving, on an ongoing basis, I've been receiving tremendous, tremendous accolades. People telling me it changes their marriage, changes their understanding of marriage. And <clears throat> why, why did this book come out much earlier? By the way, when I was originally going to publish this with Art Scroll, I sent an email to Gadalia Zlotowicz. The header of the email was, this is the book I wish I read before I got married. And I was serious. So, in any case, I highly recommend it. If you're, again, if you can't go to Terra Treasures for some reason, if you're not in Muncie, where it may be, you can still go to the schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, and you can access it there. Um, um, okay, if you have questions... Uh, <clears throat> okay, I see. Um, okay, there are two questions here that I'm going to um, I'm going to pass on because they they sound like loaded questions, and it's it's hard enough to answer questions when people raise their hands. But okay, I thank you very much again. I believe this is going to be the last year in the Derek Hashem series. This is number twenty. Uh, I think we got to a point where at Baruch Hashem we did some that went through a nice heck of through it. I hope you'll join me shortly after Pesach. I hope to start a new series on Anova, on humility and self-image, creating the perfect balance. I believe it'll be Wednesday nights as well. I'll announce that after Pesach for sure, but I, Mitzvah will be starting that after. I thank you very much for joining us for the Derek Hashem Shir, and I wish you much, much Hashem. There will be no Shir next week for sure. Uh, so I wish you a Chag Kosh and a good Shabbos. Thank you.